listening to Double Exposure with Sophia Lemon and Petro, a photography podcast on both the creative aspects and business side of photography. Join the conversation now on Facebook at Double Exposure Show Group. And here's Petro and Sophia. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 41 of the Double Exposure Show with myself, Petro, and Sophia Lemon. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode on doubleexposure.show slash episodes slash 41. And we want to see your lovely faces when you join the community on Facebook on the Double Exposure Show group. And we're back. Yay. How are you doing, Sophia? I have so much going on. <laughs> nice. So much of nothing. What's going on with you, Petro? <laughs> oh, you know, no, not too much. Had nope. a really nice uh, Canada day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Had a like baby. Like relaxing. And, oh, yeah. 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 Was, yeah. <laughs> so, um, announcing to the world of podcast listeners, um, not the entire world. I wish we had the entire world world as an audience. <laughs> but, but anyways, without further delay, we had a little baby girl. Yay! Um, her name. Her name is Mia. Uh, M-I-A. <laughs> She's going to have a fun time telling people how to spell her name. Yeah. M-I-A-T-I-A-H-U-R. <laughs> um, there is no middle name, and I'm super cool about that because I don't have a middle name. Um, <laughs> where I'm from, we don't do middle names. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, how many Mia Tihors are going to be out there anyways? True. And um, I'm super happy that uh, Hannah didn't really care either way so um she was like yeah i'm okay with no middle name it's like nice and it's not like i had to have no middle name i was just like what's the point <laughs> so no offense to everybody with a middle name um but um yeah it's the i i am a little tired i mean i'm a little exhausted no um, <laughs> what <laughs> yeah it was it's you know what Everybody is just full of shit uh, about it being hard. Uh, I know I'm going to eat my words yeah. uh, down the road, but uh, it's the coolest experience ever. And the first two days, well, we're on day three now. Um, the first two days uh, have been great. Like, I, And I didn't really buy into the whole thing like, oh, you're going to lose a lot of sleep and this. I mean... Just, just the labor and the hospital trips and this and that. There was a lot of opportunities for me to be tired and lose some sleep. Mm-hmm. But now that we're home, it just feels like really, really normal and natural. And she's like all babies. She's doing awesome the first couple of days and um, not crying a lot, like just sleeping mostly. But I don't know. I wouldn't trade her for the world. <laughs> Yeah, so, I would suggest that you guys have had, like, a really easy go of it as far as babies are concerned, but everyone seems to be different. Like, and that's true. Some uh, babies because, are just temperamental, and it appears that yours yeah, is not. I know. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm considering, you know, I'm very lucky in that uh, respect, and at the same time, what I'm, what, what I'm calling people out about is uh, just the the bad shitty advice that they give us you know it seems like everyone's an expert all of a sudden um now that the baby's here and even as as the baby was about to come everybody was always giving us advice telling almost pretty much telling us what to do like what you know? wow man i'll get into that 
shortly. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's let's see what's new with you because I, I think I might fill this whole whole episode with just my experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's well, new and exciting with you, Sophia? Congratulations on the baby. Thank you. I think it's funny that her name is Mia, like M-I-A, because we have a girl on our ball team that we call M-I-A. Can you guess why? <laughs> She's always there, ready to play. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> she will just disappear and like not show up. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, at the risk of, um, of, of the M-I-A acronym or whatever it is, yeah. um, I still went for it. Well, I don't um, think anyone is going to, <laughs> yeah. unless she turns out to be someone who doesn't show up on time, I think she'll probably be fine. <laughs> or, or somebody who's actually missing in action. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> that's um, funny. I don't have much. I had a family barbecue on Saturday <laughs> and I had ball practice yesterday, did a whole bunch of meal prep, trying to finish up editing some weddings, lots of family sessions meetings and stuff very exciting things nice yeah that's fun yeah <laughs> did you have a baby no um, that we didn't know about <laughs> and you guys are making it sound better than what most people do but i still don't think i really want to do it <laughs> yeah and that and that's the whole point uh like it's crazy how it's going to tie into today's episode because <laughs> um it, it, we 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 really do kind of make it sound better than than it probably is for most or can be or is, but I bet there's people who have it better than us and easier than us. Oh yeah. Um, I think it's partially your personality too, though. You and Hannah are pretty laid back. So what if she cries, you're going to be like, well, she's crying. She'll stop eventually. (laughs) Like, yeah, there isn't really anything (laughs) to panic about that way, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's true. And And it helps that I like, we are, surrounded by people who have had kids yeah so there's a there's a little bit of a false confidence and but you know but also um just being older i think helps too like i'm 37 now Mm -hmm. and this is my first baby so it's kind of like and i know a lot of people are having their kids in late 20s early 30s so i'm not too far off but um I have a lot of life experience and it's just kind of like, you're right, just well, what, what's the worst that can happen, you know? Well, I'm, you didn't have any reason to expect anything would go wrong, so. Not really, no. Nothing really um, to worry about, right? Like. Yeah. And I mean, you, you just take it for what it is. Um, like if the doctors told us, okay, look, this is an issue, this is what's going to be, or, you know, this is, a, she has a condition, <clears throat> we would just take it and say, okay, it is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, um, nothing really I can do about it. So, but, uh, let's talk about bad advice. So, um, okay. <laughs> well, I was just thinking you asked me if anyone had ever given me any bad advice mm-hmm. and I've been on this kick lately to like not care what other people think about what I'm doing and to not care what about what other people are doing. And Mm -hmm. it was funny when you brought this up before we started recording because I was thinking about this like 11 year old who on the weekend asked me why I was wearing two pairs of shorts for ball practice because I wear compression shorts and then I wear uh, another pair of shorts over top. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why don't you just wear one pair of shorts? Well, because I don't want to. 
<laughs> like none of your business. Why is this a question that I have to answer? <laughs> I didn't say that. You know, that that's something I would turn around and say, why didn't your parents tell you the benefits of wearing two pairs of shorts? You know, you, <laughs> well, her mom was right there parents. and her mother was yeah. saying the same things I was, but I just started thinking like, why am I explaining myself to an 11 year old who is like <laughs> judging me for wearing two pairs of shorts? <laughs> but at the same time, uh, keep an open mind because an 11 year old's mind might be very oh, inquisitive. Being- and curious yeah being curious she, is one thing but being like why would you wear two pairs of shorts yeah why don't you just wear one pair of shorts that's, that's different just bad parenting. that's different <laughs> that's totally bad parenting <sighs> and so to tell you the truth that this is how i kind of came to a realization that people are full of shit and they give you bad advice is is at one point sometime not too long ago mm-hmm. a couple years ago whatever i too said you know what this is, it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you think. Uh, I don't mean you directly. I just mean. Well, listener. most of the time it doesn't matter what I think, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to do things that make me happy. And if, and if I don't know something, I am going to ask without being ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and if somebody wants to make fun of me for it, then whatever. I don't, I really do not care. We kind of touched on this last week. We did, yeah. Like, how do you know what you don't know? <laughs> that's just the thing. Yeah. And why that's, are there true. why are there stupid questions? Like you can't expect <laughs> other people to know everything that you also know, but then also yeah. expect them to not know anything. <laughs> well, one thing everybody told me was to make sure you pack your bag for the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was Makes like, "Makes sense." Okay, you know. But but it seemed to be the the advice that everybody gave us. Oh, mm-hmm. make sure you, your bags are packed. And the funny thing is, Hannah's water broke on Friday at eight a.m. Mm-hmm. and she didn't even really know. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> she thought it was nothing. Yeah, because <laughs> it wasn't like the traditional, you know. It wasn't oh, I'm what standing you see a... on TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not oh like somebody flipped a bucket it's over. Everywhere. <laughs> And that so, kind of thing? yeah, so she had no clue that it, that, that that's what it was. She just thought it was part of, you know, getting close. Mm-hmm. And the next day, Saturday morning at 1.30, she woke up with contractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until about quarter to five that she woke me up and said, you know what, we should probably start getting ready to go to the hospital. And then when we got to the hospital around 6 a.m., the way, the way she explained it to the nurse, um, she was like, yeah, you know, I have contractions like three minutes apart or four minutes apart. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel fine. And the nurse even said, you guys want to go back home for like four or five hours? Maybe go walk around the hospital for a bit. Like, what do, whatever you want to do. They're like, we're not really ready to admit you. And it wasn't until Hannah went to the bathroom, uh, like after her exam, that the um, the nurse was like, that's a lot of liquid on the pet. <laughs> I'm probably oversharing with a lot eh, of people. Whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's my podcast. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that the nurse was like, um, "You guys aren't going anywhere because you're in labor." I'm like, yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and literally was really nonchalant like that. I'm like, okay. And there was no panic. Um, I mean, we got admitted, and 
you know, like 12 hours later, we had a little baby, which was freaking amazing. Like I, got, I was there for the whole thing. And mm-hmm. at first I was just kind of nervous, but then I just realized this is happening. Like nothing I can do about it. And I was literally there for the whole thing. And it, and I recommend it to everybody. If you're having a baby and you're, and you're a guy and your spouse is in labor and you're like, nah, I don't know, you'll regret not being there. So I can, I can so. totally see, um, the spouse wanting to be in the room. I feel like I would be like, get out. <laughs> like knowing <laughs> to, to my spouse? personality, I'd be like, I don't need more people in here. Get out. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a teaching hospital too. So there was like interns and med students and, um, uh, residents and chief residents and nurses and yeah, yeah I'm, was, I'm fine with the eyes it's the when they're talking and I just like everyone shut up right <laughs> it's funny I imagine yeah. Hannah just didn't even give a shit <laughs> no she's super cool about it she was like this is great just get this thing out of me we'll, we'll we want to go home soon um <laughs> so but it was a lot of learning and like we're learning a lot of things from firsthand and I mean um, I was super nervous about like whenever I, I had to hold somebody else's baby, I was always super nervous, but like I pick up my baby, no problem. And I, and I'm just confident about it and I'm happy about it. And I'm finding that I'm learning a lot of things just from making my own mistakes, so to speak. And a lot <laughs> okay, of everything. That's a good sign. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm learning from other people's mistakes and I am taking people's advice. So, um, before we dive too deep into this. I do want to say that you you are going to get a lot of shitty advice out there, but at the same time, you're going to get great advice because you you really do learn from people's mistakes. So what my goal is is to here is to tell you the mistakes that I've made so that you can learn from them, mm-hmm. so that you can have an easier journey. But I also ask you to you know sort of pave the way for the for new talent. Uh, new people who are going to join this magical craft of, you know, producing photographs, because let's, let's face it, it's a bit of a dying art. Uh, I mean, everybody's cataloging events, but it's, it's really not what it used to be. Um, You know, so even though, even though we have more people with cameras, the, the field of photography is kind of suffering. Everything's usually over filtered, over edited, Mm -hmm. and just looks blah. So, um, yeah. So to kind of wrap up on the bad advice we got, I'm not really going to say too, too much about the, the, the baby thing, but it was what to pack in the bag. And <laughs> I will tell you right now, my bag that we packed stayed packed. I didn't take anything out of it. So, and I'm kind of like, this what do you was, need? Like deodorant and a change of clothes? Like you, if you're going to stay there, the, the thing is, you don't know. You can't predict how long you're going to stay there. So, okay, so but yes, someone can you, go and get you stuff and bring it to you. Exactly. <laughs> so I would much rather not have brought a single thing with me. Um, like even when Hannah started labor at like, like when we got admitted into the delivery room, it was like just after 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on the bed. It was most of the time it was just her and I. And we were just like talking to each other and like being bored. <laughs> so she got an epidural, so her contractions were really easy and it took, so it was, it was just amazing. It wasn't until like 4.40 when she started pushing that there was a little bit of pain, more nurses, but again, she didn't feel anything. So it was kind of easy, but that's when I was on my feet and alert. But until then, I just kind of sat around, kept her company. We talked, um, we even, 
wa- I think we tried to watch an episode on Netflix together. Um, it was it was like surreal. It just didn't feel like anything. It didn't. It w- if you watch a movie and the, the woman's in labor, it's not nowhere near what it actually is like, or at least ours. <clears throat> so I, I hated the fact that I had to bring this big bag around, you know. So instead, I wish somebody else give me advice, like the fact that leading up to the delivery, you're going to be going there once a week to meet with the OB. So buy a parking pass. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, rather than paying six bucks per visit per day, and, you know, after the 10 visits altogether, um, buy a parking pass for the same amount of money that gives you 30 days in and out privileges, non-consecutive too. So this thing's good for an entire year. We have to go back to the hospital in two weeks for a checkup. I have my parking pass. I don't have to worry about it. And I can just go in and out. No problem. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's things like that that are going to be more convenient that I wish people would kind of tell me. Um, instead, I had to figure this out on my own. And I don't mind that, that, that I did it on my own because whatever. But it was, you know, it was just easy to not worry about it. And, and that way, even when the baby was delivered and Hannah was like, you know what? I really want McDonald's breakfast. I could just run over, hop in the truck, go across the street, come back, pull in into the parking lot and not worry about it, like not even sweat it. So um, long story short, yes, we packed the bag. It was useless. <laughs> <clears throat> there was a lot of other things that I didn't really listen to. Like um, I didn't have my, I didn't wear my shoes. I just wore my socks in the hospital room and everybody's like, you know, make sure you wear slippers, bring a pair of slippers. You don't want to be walking on hospital floors. And I'm like, you know what? I really don't care. Cause they're take what? My so- not Cause clean? I guess they're full of disease or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I'll take my shoes off and I'll be comfortable. And then I just, when I come home, I'll throw the socks in the washer and wash them mm-hmm. and won't worry about the disease. I'm not going to take my socks off and put them under my baby. <laughs> you know <clears throat> so it, it got me to thinking about how everyone is suddenly an expert and though it's great to listen to people what really happens is they just scare the shit out of you <laughs> and so when we first started this call what i had asked you was did anybody ever give you bad advice and you mm-hmm. mentioned well just start talking about it and i'll i'm sure i'll come up with something and so what I wanted to know is, because I'm going to kind of pass it over to you, I feel like I've been talking for the last 18 minutes, um, is when you were starting photography, did anybody give you bad advice or really said things that kind of scared you? Oh, is that my cue? <laughs> yeah. Not really. So we had, like when I started photography, I guess, hold on, I started taking pictures in high school. Mm-hmm. And I really got interested in photography, like, later in high school. But I didn't do, like, our photography course at school. I just did, um, like, the art classes. And I just asked the art teacher if I could do an independent study for, like, the entire year. <clears throat> okay. So I just did photography all year. And That's our really cool. art teachers were just like, yeah, um, just do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't, I got guidance, like, technical experience like using the dark room and everything um but other than that they weren't really like teaching me style or anything in particular um i would say that i don't agree with a lot of the things that they taught us in fanshawe 
Okay. But I don't know that it was necessarily advice that they were giving us, but there was just a big focus on particular types of photography specifically. Right. Like in the studio, like with three to one lighting. Which wasn't actually three to one. Well, there's that, but also... I will argue that to the death. (laughs) Yes, and it is completely useless to me now. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, at this point, never light like that ever. <laughs> right. I would never use this five light setup. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would call any of that advice. The one time I yeah, had... Yeah, you're right. I, and, and I think I'm kind of being really vague. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins back over and then oh, I, I think I'll have you, <laughs> I'll have you chime in. So, um, well, there's, there's life advice that people... Um, say that kind of is my bit pet pet peeve, and I want to get that out of the way. I hate when I really do. I, I and I, I know hate's a strong word, but I really do hate when people say you don't need math. Um, mm. You you freaking need math every day, and if you don't think so, you're gonna have a hard life. Um, I'm proud of myself that I'm good at math, and it's not because I'm a prodigy or a genius. It's because I'm a product of the USSR (laughs) school curriculum (laughs) where, you know, they kind of had their shit figured out. I mean, you can graduate high school after grade nine and go to college because you learn everything early on. I mean, kids are sponges. They absorb and they comprehend things at an early age. And so in what we were learning in grade two um, was pretty much what, when I moved to Canada was what we were learning in like grade seven. Mm -hmm. And I had such an easy time here. It was, it was ridiculous. And I have to admit it helps in everything. So like, that's my, that's what I'm talking about. Kind of bad advice is when people say stupid shit, like, oh, you don't even need math. I don't know why you're learning that in school. You don't even need that. And I sort of believed them for a bit when I was in high school. I'm like, no, they're right. When am I going to use that in my daily life? But you don't realize how much it helps you in problem solving. So we'll go into photography and how how I want to relate to this is when I first started out photography, I started asking a lot of questions. I started going to club meetings and asking professionals things. And of course, when I, whenever a new person picks up a camera, the first thing they do is they hold it by the grip with the right hand and they take their left hand and they just grab the lens with it meaning they're kind of holding on to it they're in in suspense and it's suspended by the lens and it's not supported underneath now almost everybody told me that's not the right way to hold the camera (laughs) that was the first thing out of their mouth and they they said switch your wrist so that your your hand is actually supporting the lens and i have to agree with them a little bit because it is more comfortable long term and you can move things and do things faster and zoom faster and you're actually supporting a heavier camera so you don't have to kind of hang on to it but at the same time i really would just want to say like that's not that's not the advice you should be giving any photographer instead you should just you should start talking to them about composition and how to make photos look nicer um the the next shitty advice so do you know what i'm talking about like how to hold a camera Mm-hmm. So I think the bad advice part was the fact that they were using the term how to properly hold a camera. I will tell you right now, if you're a talented photographer and you can shoot wicked photos, I actually don't care how you hold the camera. Have you ever seen me um, f- 
photograph vertical photos in the studio without a vertical grip? Sophia? Probably. <laughs> um, I think like you, you took hold, a photo. Like you hold your hand underneath? No, I, I, I actually uh, trigger the shutter with my left hand. Um, oh. <laughs> because when, uh, first of all, I don't, when I'm photographing in a studio environment, I don't need a second battery. So in my 5Ds, I don't put a vertical grip on the camera. And I'm not an idiot. I don't want to hold my hand up for eight hours as I'm shooting, right? Like take my right hand and, and turn the camera 90 degrees. So instead, was as I hold it with my left hand, the lens sits inside the crevice of my thumb. And my index finger um, on my left hand is what releases the, the shutter. You actually, I didn't really think that it was wrong until somebody told me that they, they called me out on it and they're like, wow, you're doing it wrong. Mm. And I was like, hold on a second. Are you serious? Did you just say that to me? <laughs> and they did that after I took a portrait of you in a studio, believe it or not. And you took a pic of me with your phone. Yeah, on, I'm just and, looking this up now. <laughs> I remember it's, it's what actually, you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's on my Facebook profile. Uh, it's like an old picture, and there's even a pocket wizard on it, and it's got like an Instagram filter on it. And you might be able to see it, you might not. Um, but I expose with my left hand. Uh, I trigger oh, yeah, the shutter with it. my left hand. And I mean, I don't do it to be different. I do it because it's more comfortable. And because at some point I realized that there isn't actually a rule that says you have to do this. And really the, per the person who pointed it out to me was like, but it like, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's weird. That's awkward. And I said to them, you photograph on a tabletop setup when you do like your still life and you use, um, uh, remote capturing software capture one. So you're triggering, uh, you're, you're shooting tethered and you're triggering remotely. Well, why aren't you using the shutter button? Oh, well, it's just more convenient. I'm like, well, then shut up. <laughs> this is more convenient for me. You know, again, I'm not doing it to be different. I'm doing it because it feels better. Because really, it's what I want to do, you know. Um, and so I'm actually going to kind of, yeah, here it is. It's, it is it is actually on my profile. Yeah, um, I found it. Did, do you see it? And do yeah. you see how I'm kind of holding the camera? It looks like I'm... Um, so it's got a pocket wizard on it and I'm standing in front of a big umbrella. And if you look closely, you can actually see my left hand and my index finger about to expose, expose the picture, or it might've even <laughs> taken a picture. Like this is seven <clears throat> or five years ago. And I've been doing this for probably, well, ever since I bought a digital camera, I'd say, um, I never did it with film cameras. Cause I, I tell you the truth. I've always had a a vertical grip with a film camera because it was either a film winder. So it gave me extra frames per second, or it was because somebody told me, well, when you shoot vertical, you want a vertical grip. And this, this is kind of my second advice. Like when you shoot vertically, do whatever you want. Um, people, so people who ask me, why do you use your left hand? I tell them, I don't like vertical grips because it introduces more weight to the camera. And my 85 mil lens is already like 200 pounds. <laughs> it feels like after half a day of a wedding. So I don't, I want to minimize weight and even the strap, I take the strap off too. So 
my camera is bare bones. It it is what it is, right? Um, another another shitty advice that I think people say all the time, and this is more of a retail uh, money cash grab, is you need a UV filter on your lens. Do <laughs> yeah. you, you know, uh, do you use UV filters? No. Yeah. So I think um, not... like the few times that I used them were like film, and they would screw up the photos. So. Really? I stopped using them. Well, they'll get fuzzy and like. Just yeah. Didn't like that. <laughs> I always tell people this. Imagine, um, imagine a bulletproof vest mm-hmm. without the without the bulletproof component. <laughs> okay. So you have like the pockets of material, the mesh, all that, but then you took out the Kevlar insert. Well, it's no longer good for anything related to being bulletproof, right? It's still a vest, but you took out the most important component. Well, when when you're talking about camera lenses, it your UV filter is not a bulletproof component. It's not Kevlar. So whenever somebody tells you you need it for protection, <laughs> they're full of shit. No, that's know? so that's so stupid because <clears throat> If you needed needed it for protection, it would be on the lens. Exactly. Absolutely. So, And that's also not what it's called. It's not even called a protective filter. It's a UV filter. If you needed it for protection, it would be called a protective filter. Protective filter. Right. So the day that the SWAT teams replace their Kevlar inserts with UV filters Mm -hmm. is the day that I will put one on my lens. (laughs) Well, they'll because be, you know, their chest and abdomen <laughs> will be like safe from dust, I guess. I, not even. <laughs> because somehow I always had dust particles on the inside of the UV filter. I fell for it. Of course I fell for it. Oh I, I took it all because I'm listening to experts. So I'm going, okay, I need a UV filter. So I was, I once spent $79 on a UV filter oh for a $300 lens. <clears throat> now... You've heard the term, you're only as good as your weakest link. That's that's your weakest link. You know, your <laughs> lens is made up of pieces of glass, an average of, let's say, 15 pieces of different glass shaped in, a, in, a, in an array and composed in, in a certain way. Well, when you put a piece of glass in front of this awesome, like, precision engineered marvel of a lens that you just spent two to three grand on, your piece, it's like shooting through a window. <laughs> So, you know, uh, hire two guys with, that can hold a big pane of window, like big, a, a big, large window, big pane of glass, and uh, have them walk around and, you know, just stand in front of your subject every time. And if, you, if you're not willing to do that, then why put a piece of crap UV filter on your lens mm-hmm. for, quote unquote, protection? Yeah. Um, have you ever dropped a lens? Yes. I haven't. Sorry, my assistant has dropped it. To the point where it broke? Sort of. Like, yeah. I still have that lens. I still use it and it's fine. It, okay. um Sometimes when I autofocus, it shakes a little bit. Oh. But that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's going to happen with old age anyway. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, yeah. <clears throat> 
I dropped a camera with a lens on it and it broke in half. It just broke off the camera. My <laughs> UV filter was, was, was uh, I was going to say effed, but I'm going to try to keep it relatively PG today. My Whatever. UV filter was busted in pieces. It yeah. was disgusting how many pieces it was in. Um, when I went to take it off and unscrew it off my lens, a shard of glass was stuck underneath another piece of glass. Mm -hmm. It actually scratched the coating off the front element. <laughs> Had that not happened, I could have probably salvaged the lens by replacing uh, the end of the barrel. But at that point, I was just like, screw it. It's not worth it. Forget about it. Yep. And it made me realize that these UV filters are nothing but a money grab. And you know what? Some some companies, like third-party companies, will actually put protective filter on it instead of UV filter. But um, when, you were, when you're in a retail environment, and, and I'm sorry, if you work in a retail store right now and you completely hate us because we're now taking 10 to 20 bucks out of your commission... Well, screw you. I don't care. <laughs> I completely support retailers, but just say, sell it for what it is. Tell people that it's going to prevent fingerprints and smudges mm -hmm. from, from their lens. It's, but it, it, it will degrade the quality slightly, not to the point that they will really notice, but slightly. It serves no other purpose. And I mean, I, I feel this episode's turning into a UV filter discussion, but. Well, yeah, I have uh, one for you then. <laughs> But I think that my biggest issue with this topic is that I guess I either listen to people's advice and then I go, you're crazy. And then a few days later, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or yeah. that's I, my second part. <laughs> I don't even listen to them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. whatever. But I remember we had one speaker when I was at Fanshawe come and he was talking about studio stuff and he was taking photos <sighs> in a studio and then he was showing us some editing on his mm -hmm. laptop like right there and i started an argument with him about he was talking about like the best way to edit these photos and stuff and um i was like why don't you make another layer like copy like duplicate your photo and then edit on there and then you don't lose anything because he was talking about like i can't remember exactly but like edit, 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 save, edit, edit, but don't edit too much because then you won't be able to go back kind of thing. And I was like, right. we'll just make a second layer and then that problem is solved. Right. But I like got into an argument with him. Oh man, I, I wish class. you remembered who it was. <laughs> I, could, I don't remember, it, but I'm sure I could describe him to the point that you know who he is. Okay. You can tell me off offline too, just <laughs> okay. in case he listens or she. Um <laughs> I'm totally with you. So, so that, so funny, funny thing is, um, when I present a lot of topics in class, I'll often say, this is how I do it. There's probably another way of to do it. There's redundancy too, but this is how I do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I completely relate with you. I mean, create another layer, make a duplicate file even. So you don't have to be like, oh, don't do too much. So you're not limited. Right. Well, then there's the, oh, you always need to save your raw files and stuff which with weddings is a little bit aggravating because why would i ever want those files again i'm not going to go through and re-edit a whole wedding so what's the point shouldn't i just export the final images and then delete the raw files and save I'm the, totally the jpeg you. images yeah like and why do i have to save all of the raw files for images that i'm not delivering to my client no like, if they're not good Delete enough them. to be delivered to them, then I'm not going to post them on social media. Like, I yeah. should just get rid of them. If you're a photojournalist, uh, you probably heard 
um, a story about a photographer who followed uh, President Clinton and he photographed him a lot and, you know, he saved all his photos and negatives. And when the whole scandal came about, uh, Monica, Monica Lewinsky and Clinton, he went back in his archive and he found photos of them. And like from the photos, you could see that there was a bit of a romantic, a um, bit of an affair happening, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, and I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Even yeah. if that was me, like what, now I'm actually responsible for, well, that's you know, sort of somebody's life. That sort of stuff makes a lot more sense than weddings. Exactly. If you're a photojournalist, then yeah, you might be coming back to those photos later because suddenly this person yeah. is like notable for whatever reason and you're only or, sharing a small selection of your photos anyway. Maybe one out of hundreds. Exactly. Yeah. So those photos might come in handy later on. But at the same time, was he shooting raw files and saving absolutely <laughs> every raw file? Like <laughs> Yeah, it was film, so you had no choice. So now, you know, film. Okay, if you store one one slice of negative or the entire roll, it's kind of it kind of takes the same space. Yeah. So I, I get it. But I will say though that um, you should shoot raw, <laughs> but you don't need like seventy billion megapixels at this point. No. Well, and and my my argument about raw is the same. Yes, shoot raw because it gives you greater latitude, and you're not relying on your camera to make the final decision. Mm -hmm. You have a little bit more creative control. And that's why raw files don't look as good as JPEGs because a JPEG file gets processed and compressed yeah. in the camera. Yeah. You have total creative control with a raw file. You can edit it. You can do whatever you want. You can make it look as good or as bad as you want to. So good for <laughs> you. Now, when you're done and you deliver the product, that's that's exactly the same thing. It, it, you you can keep the raw file if if you're not confident that you did your best, you know? But re reality is, we we don't we we don't archive. Okay, first of all, if I shoot two thousand images at a wedding, and I'm talking about collectively between Hannah and I, that's probably the amount of images that we have. Um, we might deliver three to four hundred, maybe five hundred mm -hmm. if they're like amazing. But sometimes as little as like two fifty. Yeah. Um, the rest of the photos that we're not delivering, they get deleted automatically. Like they don't yep. even get converted into JPEG. They just get deleted. Yep. Now we do typically wait like after, after the photos are delivered to, to, um, archive and pretty much, I'd say maybe within, within three months of delivery, the raw photo, the raw, the actual raw photos of the wedding also get deleted. Yeah. I'm not going to sit on your raw photos. Now, you might be like literally crapping your pants right now thinking, whoa, that's bad advice. <laughs> but I completely agree with you, Sophia. I mean, I've, I've made the product. I've delivered the product. I, I no longer need the components, right? Yeah. Just be realistic. Uh, like you're not going to go back and re-edit a wedding. And when you have that wedding backed up on a hard drive, on an external hard drive, you want to make sure that you back up like the latest version. So mm -hmm. if you save the JPEGs and get rid of the raw files, then when your client comes back to you in five years because they lost their photos, you don't have to actually go through and re-edit it because you forgot mm -hmm. to back up the latest version. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my process is kind of, kind of time consuming when ingesting the photos. Um, lately, what I do is I, I pick the photos out as I ingest them mm -hmm. and I only ingest the photos that I'm going to deliver. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't actually have to delete all the raw files. I just have to format the card. Mm-hmm. Because out of the 2,000 photos that I'm ingesting, uh, or rather that I, that I have a choice from, I'm only ingesting about 400 on average. Mm-hmm. And so in my Lightroom catalog, I only have 400 photos. And then when I export them um, to JPEGs to deliver to the client, um, we upload them to ShootProof. And like, I'm not burning a CD or I'm not burning a DVD. I'm not putting those raw files on an external drive. Um, those raw files ne- never make it off my computer. They never make yeah. it off my, my MacBook. Um, instead, what gets archived is the JPEG files. They go on two hard drives that are on my desk right now. And a copy also gets put into a cloud. And mm-hmm. we use CrashPlan. We love CrashPlan. We'll talk about it in another episode, actually. Oh, my God. I've been uploading <laughs> to CrashPlan for, like, two months now. Yeah, well, eventually <sighs> it'll be up there. But it takes forever. Yeah, a really good, <laughs> a really good friend of ours, um, Melissa Carey. Check her out online, melissacarey.com. She was... Um, she she lost some files. And I'm thinking, like, within a month of her starting CrashPlan. And she was a hard sell at first. She was like, really, do I need it? I back mm-hmm. up. And and she actually was like, okay, so I'm actually really happy. I have crash plan, mm-hmm. but what do, I, what do I do now? And I have to admit, even at that time, I never used it. So I was like, yeah. okay, well, let's figure it out together. And we did. And, and she's <laughs> like, this is amazing. And the cool part about crash plan is it actually archives your deleted files too. So even though you mm-hmm. delete files, it just keeps them in a, in like a garbage folder. So, mm-hmm. um, and think yeah, about like I'm, I'm the, glad I have it. However, it takes forever on rural internet yeah, to upload. <laughs> I know. Well, and think about the bandwidth you're going to save by not having to upload JPEG, or rather not having to upload raw files, but to JPEGs instead. So, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, we want you to keep an open mind, but I also wanted to share some of the bad advice that I kind of learned from yeah. that I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. So um, the three to one lighting ratio, the portrait lighting ratio. Oh my gosh. Can you just please throw that out and use your own eyes to pay attention oh to what it's the person not, looks like. Right? It's not that complicated. Like what looks good and what looks bad. You should know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my advice is if you're in the studio, start with one light. Light the subject with a key light until yeah. you're happy what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then slowly introduce lights to if you like actually build build a component build a build a lighting setup do what you really want to do so if you're like okay i'm looking at this and the key light is great but it has no separation from the background then introduce a background light oh my god do and, you want do you want to know what i do yeah like do you want to know like my whole entire studio thing <laughs> one light <laughs> which has pretty much been the same since college since i mm-hmm. started ignoring the stupid five lights so i use one light with the light box mm-hmm. and it's either butterfly or like a little bit off to the side. Mm-hmm. And then if it's too dark on the shadow side, then I'll use um, a reflector just to mm-hmm. brighten it up a little bit. And then I have a gray background. So I shoot everything on a gray background and to darken it, I move the subject away from the background yeah. to brighten it. I move the subject toward the background <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I might use a hair light depending on what I'm shooting. So if I'm shooting like the ladies at uh, the spa, they get their mm-hmm. hair done. So I, I light yeah. their hair, which is not Separation. complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I and don't, so the, I, I really, really dislike background lights so much. I don't do like I. them. They don't, yeah. don't look nice. 
So I will quite often turn the background light around and light the person with it. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? I do like that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so it's a bit of it's more of a kicker. Yeah. Um, but I do put it behind them. And this is what I'm talking about. Pay attention to what the subject looks like and do things that you, you have a digital camera. So you have instant gratification. So do things with it until you're happy and then take pictures, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, so, so you're right in the studio. It's, and I, and I find that a lot of people are afraid of studio lighting. They're, they're, they're almost deathly afraid of picking up a camera and plugging it in and and taking photos because they, they don't know what to do. And if you're, yeah, I guess it's scary (laughs) if you're using five lights, but yeah. And, and if, if you don't get the concept, right. But this five light setup it was there for a reason because with film, unless you had a Polaroid back on your medium format or whatever, it was expensive. This was kind of proven. You use the light meter, you you got everything, and and boom, you're done. M- modeling lights are there for a reason. They're not just there to look pretty. They kind of give you an idea of you know how it, how the light casts shadows, and your your best friend is time. Get in the studio and play with these lights until you're con- completely confident, right? Um, posing too, just work with your subject, right? I mean, I, I had so much advice about posing that I just chose to ignore all of it at this point. <laughs> you know what's because- funny? You know what I remember is the like masculine and feminine posing. And I remember, right. I remember being taught it, but I can't remember what <laughs> it is now. <laughs> There's a lot of head tilting that it's like you, you, you know, you, if you tilt the head back, it's more feminine right. and, it, and it's kind of, you're right. Kind of over the shoulder. Like you wouldn't, I just, I just hate shooting people sitting down in a studio now. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's, you're going to stand for most, almost everything. <laughs> and I, I love to photograph really bright, but I also kind of like to photograph a little dark and moody. I, I almost don't have a happy medium. And, um, I, I just kind of go with the flow. I do what I want. And, and I mean, a lot of it came from being lost from having clients early on, because I really did take this seriously. And I wanted to make money from photography. And I wanted to basically hit the ground running. So I started getting clients and I started doing jobs for money. And you learn really fast when photos aren't looking good and clients aren't happy. But you know, when when you look at your subject, and you go, Oh, the subject would look really cool like this. Mm -hmm. Well, what would that look like? Okay, well, maybe the light coming from the top. Okay, maybe not so bright, but more narrower. You know, I've, I've had photos published in magazines. And when I look at at these photos, like 10 years later, I still go, I, I don't think I can shoot that like that today, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I'm actually really happy with my stuff that that and it was it took a while. Like I'm lucky it didn't take a long time. Uh, but, but it took a while for me to break away from the, the rules where it's like, well, my professor in college told me to do this, which is ironic because I'm a professor in college telling people to do this. <laughs> now, the, the way that this episode came to life, uh, came to light is a former student, uh, and I were talking and, um, she actually had really hard time, uh, with, auto ISO uh because I told her said why don't you use auto ISO and it's something that is really counterintuitive because in school in college almost everybody tells you you got to shoot on manual mode Mm -hmm. right you're not a professional if you don't shoot on manual mode I don't think 
that my camera is ever in manual mode outside the studio. Yep. Right? When I'm using artificial light, yeah, it's on manual. But the minute I step out, it goes to aperture priority, sometimes yeah. shutter, shutter priority. And so one of the things she said was, well, this person told me to do this. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. For the last two years, I've been telling you this in class. So why are you choosing to listen to this person and not me? And she brought up a good point. She said, well, in my previous career as a nurse, I dealt with doctors who had different things of doing something. And she said, you know, a lot of times you're just kind of forced to say to them until you figure your shit out and agree on a method. I'm going to do it the way that I'm comfortable with. Yeah. You know? So if you if you want me to do something uh, m- medical, but you neither one of you agrees, I'm not going to do it because I'm going to get in shit from you when you're on 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 shift. And I'm going to get in shit from the other person when he's he or she's on shift. So I completely agree. And I completely agree that uh, teachers in college don't always agree on methods. However, what you need to pay attention to is somebody who's working in the field who says, this is what I do in this situation, and it works. And it's going to make your life a lot easier. I found that I would share a lot of little tips and suggestions like that. Like, for example, try photographing auto ISO in aperture priority and use your you know use don't use spot metering because that will just throw your photos out out, out the window but use your uh, exposure compensation dial if you want the photo to be a little bit brighter or a little bit dimmer you know depending on the lighting situation because the camera is only so smart but the reality is that canon nikon whoever they spend millions of dollars in research and development so at some point you're gonna have to trust it and just say Maybe that AV function on my camera is there for a reason. Maybe I should try it. <laughs> so on, the, on that note, um, yes, you're going to get a lot of different advice from different people. But guess what? You're also going to get amazing advice if you just listen and open up your mind. But the last thing you need to do is be like, well, I, in my portrait class, I learned that I need five lights for a three to one portrait. And the fact that we use a ratio to describe a style of portrait is kind of garbage, (laughs) right? I mean, my argument about three to one is the fact that there's a college that's teaching you that a three to one lighting ratio equals to exactly one stop light difference. Yet another college is teaching you that it's two to one that is one stop between the key light and the fill light. And I tend to fall into the two to one category because at some point I actually listened to my teachers in, you know, grade four who said a a ratio is, you know, when you, when there's two of something and there's one of something, that means that it's double. So how the hell a three to one lighting ratio could mean that the key light is one stop brighter than the fill. I have no clue, (laughs) but, but you've even had your, your co-op placement, your field placement uh tell you that right oh yeah yeah so I mean, <laughs> not that i sorry, really I'm... paid i didn't pay a whole lot of attention in studio class about that three yeah. to one stuff but well, why does it matter if my uh light is exactly a stop brighter right why does it i'm just gonna yeah why does it matter like you know at all 
That was so, that was not something that we needed to know how to do. And the biggest reason for um, taking these things with a grain of salt is that uh, I think what it's going to do is it's going to rape your creativity. Mm-hmm. It's going to just take it away from you. Well, do you know how many people, to... like how many people after we learned three to one only ever shot portraits in three to one? And oh, majority. Like bad three to one, by the way. Like somehow the photos were grainy and like, mm-hmm. I don't, like the background light <laughs> was like too bright, but then it was super dark <clears throat> on the outside. Yeah. Like, <sighs> well, first thing you should do is uh, get your subject as far away from the background as it's as possible in your shooting environment. <laughs> oh yeah, I if do you remember have, that dimples right. in the background. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you if you have thirty feet behind you, use it. Right, like just just back up. Um, <laughs> And you're going to get more separation. Um, so, so it's, it's bad, 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 bad advice. So every, you know, I had, I have a student who the entire first year shot everything at F11. Interesting. Well, this guy said that you get the most depth of field and I just wanted everything in focus. It's like, oh. yeah, I, I can see everything in focus. I can see your background, your paper background on microscopic level. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's in focus. Well, the other um, thing, the other thing that I did with the background at Fanshawe mm-hmm. was I didn't use the paper background. I used the wall. The wall was painted white. So yeah. I used the wall and then I backed up from the background. So the farther away you are from the background, the darker it is. And my God, the tones in the background when you would just use the white wall and get farther away from it like the tones of the wall it was so pretty yeah <laughs> instead you of, know me i love using walls instead well, of rolling the uh, background all the way down so that people are standing on it and then shooting a headshot that uh, makes sense sorry <laughs> but see when it, it's like it's like earlier when i was talking about delivering a baby right you whatever right? you see in the movies you you think that's how it is and whenever you see a studio on tv you would see like a cove or yeah. a, a psychorama right uh or a paper background and you automatically assume that that you need that right well if you if you're not shooting full length all you need is a wall mm-hmm. and you don't even need a bed sheet you literally need a wall yep. painted white if you or i would my advice is painted gray mm-hmm. Find a neutral gray in color as well as density, paint the wall gray, and if it needs more light, get closer with your light or put a light on it, and if it needs less light, back up, because your key light will travel further and be a lot less brighter, therefore your background will be darker. Um, Well, you saw my studio. I have one wall painted black, one wall painted white, and one wall is just gray concrete that has texture that I love using because it's an interesting background. Mm And I do have paper backdrops hanging. And honestly, the only re- the only time I used color backdrops is when I used to shoot fashion. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is really simple. I shot on an Olympus four, four-third crop uh, camera because the reason I did that is because the image out of the camera was nine by 12 and that's what these girls were were using for their portfolios you needed a nine by 12 photo so i could take the the jpeg oh yeah i didn't shoot raw shot jpeg and the cool thing is olympus was one of the first cameras on the um on the in the market with uh dust deletion so Hmm. you you never i've never had dust on any of my photos and now you'll notice too you, you rarely have dust on your sensor 
because even Canon and Nikon are now using like dust cleaning um, sensors. So with my Olympus, I would shoot. The camera was had a smaller sensor, so it used the sweet spot of the lens a little bit better. So it was sharp, edge to edge. It was it was just it was a better image. Now, the camera itself was a little bit more limited, so I couldn't use it for weddings. Um, I still preferred my 5Ds for weddings because they were faster, they, they worked better in low light, but for fashion, it was all just JPEGs on an Olympus camera. And because we didn't want to edit these photos, we would quite often, you know, depending on the outfits and whatever editorial we were shooting at the time, we would shoot either on red, green, blue, or gray background, or sometimes white, if we really wanted like a really soft, high key feel to it. And I traveled in my awesome Volvo wagon with four backdrops and a little briefcase with lights. And I could basically set up a studio anywhere, right? And a lot of the times we just use the natural environment. So <laughs> for the last year, I have barely used my studio. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've now moved to Kamoka instead of London, and it's a 30-minute trip for me to get to the studio. But also, I just find that it's more interesting to photograph somewhere on location. Because I get to meet a lot of interesting people who have very cool houses, uh, very cool model homes, uh, because they're realtors that I shoot um, their listings for, I've asked them, hey, do you mind if we have a photo shoot here, maybe for a couple of hours, and then, you know, we'll reciprocate with giving you credit, or, you know, if I need to get, throw you a couple hundred bucks for the whole day to rent this place, it's just going to be a lot, a lot better and a lot easier. And I've had realtors actually offer up their own home <laughs> because it was really interesting. And they're super cool about it. And they're like, well, do you mind if I hang out while you shoot? And I'm like, hell no, watch TV for all I care, <laughs> you know? But they're, they're leading to a much more interesting, much more better photos yeah. to the point where sometimes happy accidents happen. Like a, a few months ago, the cat, the cat walked into the photo. <laughs> I placed him on the chair and the guy's like, I got to use this photo. And he actually has people emailing him, telling him, you must be a really nice guy if you were photographed with a cat. Well, it's kind <laughs> of genius, really, to use that so image too. because you're mm -hmm. buying a house. Where, yes. like, creatures live. And I don't think realtors ever use pictures with animals or anything. Or, frankly, their spouses or anything. It's just themselves looking really stiff. Yeah. Usually uh, and it's that, not a good photo. That's, that's <laughs> it. And guess what happens? We look at these photos of stiff realtors. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like, really that bad. that looks bad. <laughs> well, you and I, we think that looks bad. But think about a young photographer who's like, well, this is what I got to do. I got to take a picture of a stiff realtor. Yeah. When a realtor contacts me and says, I want a photo, this is what I got to do. Nobody really thinks outside the softbox. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that, that's kind of a term that I've been using, right? Yeah. Everybody says, think outside the box. I'm kind of saying, think outside the softbox, get out of the studio, right? <laughs> Leave it behind you. And that's, that's probably another bad advice that I got. Um, and I think because I was in a college environment and there was like every single modifier you could imagine and all these different lights. When I started my studio, I thought I needed to outfit it with like million lights. Yeah. I had at one point, I think I had 13 lights and it wasn't until a few years back where I, when I noticed I'm like, I'm only using like three to four at a time. And 
I like keeping two at home, kind of like in my go bag, mm-hmm. just in case I have to do a location shoot. Like, so I'm going to get rid of half of these. And I'm glad I did because I, nev- I honestly never used them. I think I sold them to some people for um, like a really good deal. And like a lot of them, I was like, this sat on the shelf since I bought it new. So you're getting almost a new light for half the price, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the... Another thing too is is flashes for your camera. Like, how many photographers do you see out there with this margarine container on their flash shooting oh my away? God, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to. I, I don't I, understand I've, what's what it's doing for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how people make them work. Mm-hmm. Like, you're pointing your light at the ceiling with some like what looks like a condom on it like how is that it's literally called the fong dong because <laughs> gary fong who invented it he, it's it's known as the fong dong because it makes it look like a it makes your flash look like a, a giant penis on on your camera <laughs> and the the dude is a millionaire you know well, he's, he's a genius he's a marketing genius and i actually met him uh, a couple of times at trade shows and whatnot. And he's he's kind of down to earth. He's he's a funny guy. So it makes me think that he's he kind of believes in his product. But at the same time, I, I have to admit that there's got to be a part of him where it says where, that says I'm marketing a piece of plastic <laughs> to the masses and they're buying my bullshit. Um, it does work for certain applications. I do have to admit it's it, it's got a very limited use and I'm not going to get into it too much because in my opinion, you don't need it to shoot a wedding. Nope. You know, <laughs> um, especially I see people with running around with flashes on brackets. You know what? And not as much anymore, but f- over the last 10 years, this number's kind of dwindled away a little bit. But 10 years ago, if you were a wedding photographer, there's a really good chance that you had something called a strobo frame. Uh, do you remember those? <clears throat> like the piece that held your camera your flash off to the side yeah yeah a strobo frame that when you turn tilted your camera sideways and i have to admit i used it because i took somebody's shitty advice about it and it was always so cumbersome and all my photos have flash in it and they look stupid <laughs> and, and so like i said 10 years ago you would see a flash on a strobo frame hooked up to your camera with the fong dong the gary fong light sphere on it and people's photos looked worse than if I stood beside them and just exposed with natural light in aperture priority, mm-hmm. you know. And it's kind of funny because people have approached me and they said, you shoot like an amateur, but your photos are like professional. What's what's up? What's are your like professional? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so what's your secret? And reality is the secret is that I opened up my mind and I decided to use my brain to figure out how things would look better. I I remember looking at my wedding photos that I've shot with a strobo frame and a flash thinking, why do they look like shit? Why do they look like crap? I'm not. And now the client got them and they're like, oh my God, you made our, you made my day. These are the best wedding photos I've ever seen. And it's like, wow, I have room to grow. When I look at my own work and go, this can be better then let's figure out what better is, you know? And just to just to kind of add a, another couple of things that 
bad advice I received over the years. One was to use a reflector for everything. Always carry a reflector. I went out and I spent almost $200 on one of those five-in-one reflectors that collapses into a little bag. Mm-hmm. And I, my first wedding on digital, I ruined it because I used a reflector. I just I blinded people with it. Um, I eliminated all the shadows. There was no separation. Like, I really feel bad for taking these people's money. Um, the reality is, is, you know, you don't need a reflector. You need to learn how to use a reflector. <laughs> and then you can use almost anything. You know, you can, you can buy one of these reflectors on Amazon now for 30 bucks. But back when I started, there was no Amazon. I had to go to a photography store and spend that kind of money uh, on a cheap piece of Chinese crab. And hey, today uh, at the studio, I have uh, big cards. They're basically foam core. Um, and if I want to change the color of it, I can spray paint it. Or just painted. If I want to make it smaller, I could fold it. If I want to make it bigger, I can take two and hold them and tape them together, right? Um, they come in four by eight foot sheets. So I can actually make large flags and, and block lights with them because it comes in black and white. Reality is that you're only limited by your imagination and your need to use these things. So before you fill your camera bag with all these goodies and accessories that you really don't need, like don't overpack. Because you're going to have a bag that you don't use at a wedding or at a photo shoot. And that's kind of what got me thinking about this is my bag in the hospital. I thought about it and I'm like, this is what I used to do with when I first would show up to photo shoots. I would have a bag full of crap that I never took out or never used. Are there, are there things in your camera bag that you don't take out at a wedding? No, but I hate carrying things with me, so... I only have, wait for it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things in my bag. Yeah. I have two camera bodies, two le- three lenses, two flashes. And then yeah. I have my triggers, which I do use. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you need. Yeah. My wedding kit, my ideal wedding kit uh, would be two camera bodies, um, 24 to 70 lens, 70 to 200 lens, and a 100 mil macro lens. Yep, that is what I have. <laughs> right? Okay, awesome. <laughs> and maybe maybe two flashes, but if you can't afford two, one is all you need. And you can, you can shoot weddings professionally. Mm-hmm. Now, funny story. Oh, I should I say you don't need all of that to shoot weddings professionally. Yeah, I, I guess I meant uh, you can... Shoot wedding profession, weddings professionally, consecutively, like perpetually. Like you can make a career with just that equipment. Mm-hmm. Like, because because if you have less, you know, there's going to be a point where you'll need to grow, right? If you don't have a seventy two hundred, you'll find that yeah. you don't have quite the reach. If you don't have a twenty four to seventy, you'll find you don't have quite the width. And I mean, if you're if you want to argue with me about primes and zooms, you know, I don't, I really don't care. If you if you feel comfortable using a prime, go use a prime. I find that I like zooms because of the versatility, so I use zooms. So reality is that when I go to a wedding, I will shoot 85% of it with an 85 millimeter lens. Um, And I'm talking about almost everything. I put my 85 on and I shoot the whole wedding with it. Um, Quite often when, depending on the wedding and what we're doing, and if Hannah comes with me, she'll actually keep her 100mm macro on for almost the entire time. 
we have different approaches to the way we tell a story and I like consistency. Um, and so my 85 just does a great job at giving me that consistency. I do not recommend you do this. I do not recommend you go out and buy an 85 millimeter lens and go shoot a wedding with it unless you're completely comfortable in living in fear the whole time. Because, um, the way it happened to me one day is I just, we showed up to a wedding to, to do creatives first, not the get ready photos. And I took my 85 out, threw it on the body and we started doing creatives and I did the entire two hour creative shoot with just the 85. And then we moved on to the ceremony and I didn't take the 85 off because it was, it's a 1.2 lens mm -hmm. and my 70 to 200 was, is a 2.8 lens. And so Hannah took the 70 to 200 and I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep the 82 because I can shoot at like F 1.4, 1.2 even and get a little bit more light. And it was a fairly dark, uh, dark place. And she's like, well, all right, you know, you know where it is if you need it. And I'm like, no, it's okay. And at the end of the night, I'm like, I still have it on my body. I still have it on my camera. Mm -hmm. So why would I, why would I do it differently? And I just, just from there on out, I just kind of kept doing that, kept shooting with it, kept shooting with it. Now, if I don't shoot with Hannah, quite often I will throw the 24 to 70 on instead or the 70 to 200 if I'm shooting with somebody else because I don't know what they're doing, right? I'm not comfortable necessarily, so I kind of want to buy a little bit of security for myself doing that. All um, right, I'm going to throw throw a last one out there, but I'm cutting you off, so go ahead and say what you want to say. Well, I said I have one more. Yeah, okay, me too, so go ahead. Uh, which is that you don't need a full-frame camera and you don't need a zillion megapixels. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> was that yours you know, no it's not but that, <laughs> i i'm so happy you brought that up like what's full frame anyways like do, can you really think about what that term means full frame i know what it means but it, what does it really mean well it doesn't mean anything now it it meant that it was the same size as film and now not it, even the film that you would have used as a professional yeah, so now it means nothing. <laughs> it's a slightly bigger sensor, which, I mean, cool. A bigger sensor is cool because you can fit more megapixels in it. Like, <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, Nokia has a phone with like 40 or 50 megapixels and it doesn't have a full frame sensor, right? Well, yes, exactly. Uh, they can, like companies now can do whatever they want. Yeah. With, and you don't need a million megapixels. Like, how many wedding photos are you shooting that are going to be blown up onto a billboard? That's and that's one of the first things I do is explain to my class what a megapixel is. Because, and, I, and I'm honest with you. It, yeah. it opens up their mind. Um, the, the, the problem is marketing. And, I mean, I'm involved in marketing quite a bit. I mean, I, I do marketing for a car company. I... I do marketing for, well, we, we were discussing the skating club, <laughs> you know, we're mm -hmm. going to be helping them with marketing. Um, so we're involved in marketing ourselves, but we do a different kind of marketing. We're not trying to sell uh, a product and dupe the masses. But yeah. what happened was Kodak uh, on their first digital camera, instead of saying file size, they chose to say quality. And so... Mm -hmm you could turn down the quote unquote quality by lowering the amount of pixels the image was, but by lowering the size. So now on the back of my Canon camera, I, I go small, medium, large. If I choose JPEGs, even raw, I go small, medium or large raw. 
I'm not saying, okay, better, best raw, right? And I think on Nikon, the, those bastards are still using the word quality. <laughs> and I wish they would stop because it has nothing to do with quality. So I try to explain to my students and anybody I meet who's interested in photography and ask me a question is that megapixels do not equal quality. Yeah. You could have a thousand megapixels and you can have a shitty lens on the camera with a UV filter on <laughs> and I will have my, you know, outdated 5D Mark III with a great lens on it. And I will actually turn it down to the medium raw, which is like a 9.9 or 10 megapixels or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So I'll share a little secret with you. You may not have known this, but I shoot most of my weddings on 10 megapixels <laughs> <laughs> because my clients get the file and it's better than good enough. It's better than big enough. And 99% of them do not order a single print. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So it's like... Well, what? and I just, I, I hear too many people being like, oh, I need to upgrade my camera because I need to have a full frame camera. Like oh. all these students coming out of school, like I need to have a full frame camera. And why, why do you need to have a full frame camera? Because, because even if you want to make the most out of your lenses, you still don't need a full frame camera. No, no. If anything, uh, your crop sensor camera, uh, I'm, I hate that I use the word crop sensor because mm -hmm. it's not cropped. It's full frame. <laughs> it, to me, literally a crop sensor means that the camera inside has this big sensor, but the company decided to crop it. And, and it's yeah. like, you can't use the rest of it. It's Sorry. just a different size. <laughs> it's a different size and that's it. And, and there's a Nikon out right now. It's, it's, I think it's called the D500. If I was starting photography today, I would buy the D500. It's a, it's a smaller sensor, but the body of it is just perfect. I used it in a demo that Nikon, uh, Nikon brought a bunch of cameras to the college and I got to play with it. And I, and I know for a fact that if I wasn't married to a system, you know, or was influenced by a certain, certain way, how a certain system works, I would buy the Nikon D500 today and I would mm -hmm. just shoot anything and everything with it. Okay. If I was um, starting again, I think I would go, um, mirrorless. Okay. Like if I was starting now. Yeah. Like the photos are good enough. <laughs> Better than good enough. I don't and, shoot sports. I don't need to take 70 yeah. billion pictures in a row. Like I shoot weddings. Like I hate as to say it, but most of the is... moments through the day are pretty expected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of know when they're going to happen. They literally Surprise. get announced. They literally yeah. get announced. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for the speeches. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hate when people do that, but that's <laughs> not here nor there. And you're right. That's, I'm all, probably, that's all I got. Uh, Just you don't to need to spend $2,500 um, on the latest full-frame camera because it's there's, not there's still going benefits to of, help you. Of the traditional SLR for me. Um and it's mostly has to do with lenses. Like I love my 85 one too. And I don't know if there's anything equivalent in mirrorless, but reality is if you don't have that style, if you don't use that lens for, for what you need to do, go mirrorless. I completely support mirrorless. But also, you know? also you can shoot with that lens on a rebel. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and it's still 1.2. Yeah, it does give you a slightly different look, but... Oh my God, hey, no, I, no, no, it doesn't. Let's just drop that. It doesn't. Let's just leave no, it alone. Just the math of it is that the depth of field is going to be different. The The smaller the it's, sensor, the more depth of field know, you will it's have. It's not significant enough. It's not significant <laughs> that, that you need to yeah. buy a... 
Yeah. Uh, it's not significant <laughs> enough that you need to buy a full frame camera. If you're, right? if you know what you're doing with your camera, you're going to be able to produce the effect that you're trying to Absolutely. produce like pretty easily. So, yeah. <sighs> well, and f- moving forward from there. Right. Um, what was your last my first? One? Well, just going to finish what, oh, uh, the whole sake. megapixel thing. <laughs> um, my first, uh, like really paying, really well paying client was uh in my second year and i borrowed a digital camera but my very first kind of like camera that i bought for to make money was the original rebel Mm -hmm. the original digital rebel Uh, i don't recall how much it was but i do think it was six megapixels (laughs) and i made so much money with it it paid for all my studio equipment it paid for all my computer gear lights and even my new cameras because the client didn't really care that it was a rebel. Yep. And they right? don't. I mean, they don't care what they, you're shooting they, with. They really don't. So um, the last one is uh, don't limit yourself because you learned something. It, and, and it comes down to this. I've seen photographers miss a shot or not take a shot because they said, well, in college, I learned that my focal length determines my shutter speed. So if I'm shooting with... Um, 100 mil macro, my minimum shutter speed should be one over the focal length, meaning like one over a hundredth of a second, uh, or one, one twenty-fifth, one, one over 125, uh, of a second. So since it's kind of dark in this room and I can't go that high to that shutter speed with, with my lens, I, I don't think it will look good. Well, for, for you, I feel sorry if this if this is your school of thought. Yes, you that will ratio get the sharpest. Is bullshit. Also, well, lenses now come with image stabilization. Bodies come with image stabilization. That was another really cool thing about Olympus. The image stabilization was in the body, mm-hmm. so every lens you put on was stabilized. But regardless, mm-hmm. um, you can bump up your ISO to get. Um, to get to that ratio if you if it really makes you feel comfortable now i know i can handhold a uh, 200 millimeter lens at a 60th of a second and it still looks sharp i know that because i've tried it because i was experimenting at a person's wedding because i wanted to get the shot and guess what i was shooting at 6400 iso at a 60th of a second at 2.8 because it was super freaking dark in the church and i still got wicked shots and i still got the lighting that i wanted to yep. and because i pushed the envelope but if you're if you're going to take this advice if you're going to be like okay well it has to be one over the shutter speed you're not wrong to do that but don't let it stop you from taking photos this is exactly the reason why i decided to go to auto iso and so if i go to auto iso and i'm in a church situation or i'm at in any situation and i do have a long lens let's say i have a um uh, 200 millimeter lens, I can set my uh, shutter speed to one two hundredth of a second, put it into shutter speed priority, and let my camera decide what, what ISO and what aperture to use, right? And now I have a minimum. But don't sit there and be like, well, this professor told me to do this because you're just going to miss the shot. And maybe it's your job to get the shot. Maybe it's your job to just do quality photos but if that's the case bring a tripod right there's always a way to do this 
Anyways, I think you get the point. <laughs> I hope we kind of opened up your mind. I hope opened up your eyes. I hope I didn't make you too angry, Sophia. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Reminisce about some of the bad advice you received. Yep. <laughs> I'm <And> fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just picture you like inscribing on your desk with a knife, like death to bad advice. <laughs> um, but uh, I... I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We've, you know, really helped you waste an hour and 20 minutes yeah. of your day. So I think, I feel we achieved something. Yeah, sure. And at the end of the day, learn from our mistakes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, live your life uh, one day at a time. But I don't know what I was, where I was going with this. Felt like, felt like all of a sudden I was going to give bad advice. So I'm just going to stop it right there. <laughs> um, show notes for this episode are on doubleexposure.show slash episode slash 41 and you can join the conversation on Facebook on the Double Exposure Show group um, the wicked music you're hearing in the background is courtesy of Band Sound and all the wicked graphics that you see online on our social media accounts are courtesy of Benjamin Edward if you haven't yet done so don't delay. Get onto iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. It will make you super cool. <laughs> and that is the best advice you will get all day. Probably true. Probably true, yeah. So until next time. Okay, bye. Bye.